Good morning. Welcome everyone to Bridge City Church Murraysville. I'm Pastor Eric and want to wish you a happy Memorial Day weekend uh, from all of us here at Bridge City Church to you. Uh, you know, Memorial Day weekend is, is a day, you know, if you look at what the day is all about and what we recognize tomorrow is remembering the soldiers, the people who have given their lives, who've made the ultimate sacrifice of laying their lives down for us. And, you know, I have four brothers and two uncles that all served in the military, and uh, one of them uh, has tried to take his life many times, and he's still alive, God willing, and believing God's going to continue to do a work in him. But the reality is, military personnel often don't just die overseas, but they, they take their own life or things happen to them. And we remember not only the soldiers who have given their lives, but also the families, uh, you know, knowing what families go through. Knowing spouses don't have their husband or, or wife come home or their sons come home or their, their parents don't come home. And remembering Memorial Day is, to me is such, a, such an, a, a great reminder to start and, and as we look towards the summer and cookouts and fun and sun and all the festivities, not to just skim past Memorial Day, but also not to stay in just sadness and mourning, but to realize what we have because of their sacrifice the people who have laid down their lives for us to have the freedoms that we have. As messed up as our country is at times and in different areas, we still live in an amazing country, a country of abundance, a country of freedom, a country of, of us having a lot of liberties that we often take for granted. So I want to start by just recognizing the, the, today is memor this Memorial Day weekend is what we recognize tomorrow and take the day off of work and as we're enjoying cookouts, as we're enjoying festivities and games and maybe an extra day off of work, let's do so with joy in our hearts that people laid their lives down for us to have the freedoms that we have today. It's such a great reminder of what Jesus did for us as well. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us to have freedom, eternal freedom. I love when we remember Memorial Day because it points us back to Jesus the ultimate sacrifice that he made. Not to discount or to minimize, minimize anything that soldiers or armed forces personnel have done, but to remember what Jesus has done for us, to have eternal freedom as well. Here's a quote from John F. Kennedy. It says, as we express our gratitude, this was given uh, at, around a Memorial Day service, he says, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter the words but to live by them. As we show appreciation to the veterans who have given their lives, to the families who have sacrificed and lost so much, the highest appreciation isn't just to say thank you, but to live lives worthy of their sacrifice. Not just as Americans, but as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Let's live so their death and their sacrifice wasn't for vain. Let's live in such a way it brings them honor and glory for the sacrifice they made. As we remember those who have given their lives, and before we jump into the message today, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the men and women who have chosen to put themselves in the line of duty, to put their lives on the a line, not for their sake, but for ours. God, that they laid their lives down, especially those who have given it all, the ultimate sacrifice of losing their life, Father, we thank you for them. We thank you for people who have said yes to that call to protect this nation, to protect us as the American people. Father, we thank you for the people and the families 
and the children who've lost parents and the parents who've lost children, the spouses who never hold their husband or wife again. Father, we thank you for their sacrifice as well. God, knowing that together, as we remember their sacrifice, may we do so with our lives, as we live our lives as a thank you for them, giving them honor and glory, God, for what they've done. God, we thank you for calling such men and women to lay down their lives. And we thank you also, Father, for Jesus Christ, who came and lived his life selfless and sacrificing himself so that we could have eternal life. May we live our lives as a thank you to you as well, Father. A precious, precious life that we have in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for today's message, that would be your words, your spirit, your heart, not my own. God, this room full of great, great people that we'd hear your word and your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here at Bridge City Church, we exist so that as many people as possible begin a relationship with God and become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We want to reach lost people for Jesus and help those who are found grow into being all that they can be for Jesus, to be fully devoted followers. Well, how do we do that? Well, one of the ways we do that, our hows, you may have heard of the five G's, the gather, grow, give, and go, all for the glory of God. And that statement written out actually in a, in a broader sense and how we do in our values at Bridge City Church is that we gather people into the family of God, empowering them to grow into mature Christians, equipping them to give of themselves and to go into their world with spirit-led lives, all for the glory of God. All these things that we do as a church, we gather people in, we grow as followers of Jesus, we give of ourselves, we go into our world. It's all meant to be for the glory of God. And I think at times we skim over the the first four G's. We say, yeah, we got to gather, we got to grow. We go to growth track, we're in group, we're giving of ourselves, we're growing and being sanctified in our giving and living our lives. But I think we miss at times the, the glory of God. It's all meant to be for his glory. For his namesake, for the name of God to be known in everywhere, and the name of Jesus to be exalted and lifted up. But as I dug into this uh, understanding of God's glory, I realized, man, I don't know as much about God's glory as I'd like to. I did a deep dive into reading hundreds of verses and looking at it, studying and studying all the places where God's glory is, and I realized how big God's glory really is. How magnificent and broad and vast God's glory is for us to even try to comprehend it. And I say, okay, God, this is what I believe you want to say. How do I communicate his glory in such a way that we could grab a hold of something? How do we live our lives differently? How do we think differently? How do we have a different perspective knowing everything we do is meant for the glory of God? Well, glory, the word glory is found over 400 times in the Bible. Uh, with different variations of glorified or glorious, it's found over 600 times uh, in all of its, all of its uh, different forms. Some of the verses that we find are 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I'm going to clip through a lot of verses today and a lot of passages. So if you're taking notes, take down notes quickly. Take a picture. Uh, if you didn't catch it, something, ask your neighbor. Maybe they caught it as well if they're taking notes. But 1 Corinthians 10, 31 Paul is speaking here, and there's this dispute about eating meat that's uh, sacrificed or dedicated to idols. And Paul basically says, well, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, Paul's saying if, if there's people who are uh, sacrificing meat to idols, they're not real gods anyways, so go ahead and eat the meat. 
But on the other hand, if it's going to cause them to stumble or it's going to drive them away from God, then don't eat the meat. He goes, it's not about eating or drinking. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, everything we do, not just eating and drinking, they were so caught up on this, this Jews and Gentiles and the difference in whether what we can eat and what we can drink and what we can't do and can, can do. He says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything is meant for the glory of God. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Another translation says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. How many of you know you could use that at work, right? I need to know that I'm working for God, not for my boss today. And, but, you know, shift the perspective. Verse 24, actually, it's not on a slide, but it says, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ Jesus. The real master, our real Lord, our real master isn't our boss. They may sign your paycheck. They may tell you what to do, and we got to follow and listen to them. But our real Lord is Jesus. That everything we do, our work, our school, our eating, our drinking, everything we do is for the glory of God because he is who we're living for. He is our master. At the end of our lives, he's going to be the one that judges what we've done with what he's given us. So the Hebrew word for glory is kavod or kabod uh, in, the, in the Hebrew and in Greek, it's doxa or doxa. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but which means praise, grandeur, honor, importance, weight, or heaviness. This word glory has such an encompassing definition. Actually, if you Google it or look up definition, you'll find all kinds of different definitions of what glory really is. But we go to scripture, we look at Strong's 3519. It talks about the importance and the weight that comes with the glory of God. In fact, there's actually an, uh, you know, a lot of different ways we use words as um, parables or metaphors in different ways. And, that, you know, we use this word, uh, that's heavy. If, if somebody says something really deep or meaningful, you could say, that's heavy, that's weighty, the weight of something, the gravity of the situation. That would actually be a very uh, English way of using this word kavod or kabod, which means heavy. In Judges 3, there's actually a man named Eglon. The Bible says he is uh, kavod kavod. He is heavy, heavy. He's a very fat man. It's actually a very disturbing story. Don't, I don't encourage you reading that one. But it's, it's a story about a man who's very fat. He's, he says he's very large, very fat. He's, he's heavy, heavy. He's very heavy, right? And some of us are going to be working on our glory later today, you know, adding the weight. Um, but Psalm 8, different, different way of using the word glory here is God gives humans a crown of kavod, a crown of glory. He's not talking about weight or, or heavy. He's talking about uh, authority, an ability, an honor that's stowed upon people, that God has chosen mankind to bear the crown of kavod, the crown of glory for God, that our lives are meant to carry his glory, the weight, the praise, the grandeur, the honor of God is upon his people that's meant to be directed back to him so that when people see us, they see God's glory in us. That's an amazing thought to think about. Glory, though, is also most often seen in the physical. Throughout the Bible, many, many times, the word glory is used as something to describe a physical manifestation, a physical element of God's glory. And there's several examples, I couldn't list them all, several examples of God's glory. First one in Exodus 16, 10, 
Uh, this is where the Israelites are out of Egypt. They're being led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They're, the Israelites are following the presence of God. It says they could see the awesome glory of the Lord. They could see the glory of God. It wasn't this mystical thing. It wasn't just this supernatural thing. It was a physical presence, a physical way that God was leading his people into the wilderness. Second one here, Exodus 24, 16 the glory of the Lord settled. This was when Moses went to Mount Sinai. It says the glory of the Lord settled around the mountain that the people couldn't see beyond this. That, that it was a physical barrier that you couldn't see past. But the glory, the presence of God settled there as God spoke with Moses. Psalm 26, 8, the place where glory dwells. David is, is worshiping. He's writing the psalm to God and he, he speaks of the glory of God, this place where God dwells. His presence is physical. It's a dwelling place. Isaiah 6, 3. Isaiah's speaking about how he has this vision. He sees God in the temple. His robes fill the whole temple. It's a physical dwelling place of God. He says, this actually places where the angels, the seraphim, are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's speaking about a physical uh, presence of God that his Whole, the whole earth is filled with his glory. You think they're singing about holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his holiness, but it's not. It says the whole earth is filled with his glory. It's a physical thing we can see. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. This is speaking about the second coming of Christ, that when Jesus comes back, he said he'll receive glory from the praise of his people. Verse 11 says, so we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. He's given them a charge, an encouragement, if you will, to, to say live a life worthy of the glory and the honor that is bestowed upon you. That when Jesus returns, we can honor him. The name of the Lord Jesus will be honored by the way we live our lives. Not just on Sunday morning, not just when we read our Bibles, but everything we do and every part of our lives is meant to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about some heavy things we're talking about, right? The weight of glory. It's all made possible. And we may say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to glorify God in every step of every way of my life, every thought I think, every action I do. I can't glorify God and say, well, this is made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is you can't do it. I can't do it on my own, but by the grace of God, we can live lives worthy of the call of our lives and to bring honor and glory to him. In fact, he, he commands us to glorify him. But in commanding us to glorify him, he's actually inviting us to enjoy him. C.S. Lewis, a great author, man of God, who wrote many, many great works to help us understand who God is and understand the Bible. He, he wrote this, this quote of, in commanding us to glorify God commands us to glorify him. But it really is an invitation to enjoy him. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of times, I have a hard time enjoying things in life. I want to work. I want to accomplish something. I want to get the job done. And at times, God's reminded me, saying, but you need to enjoy life as well. Take a day off, Pastor Eric. And I'm like, no, there's work to be done. There's people to be saved. There's people to be, but he's saying, I want you to enjoy me as well. Because the more we can enjoy God, 
the more useful we actually are when we actually go and do things for him. I think there has to be a both. There's an enjoyment, but there's also a working for God, a working with him, doing ministry with him. God's presence, his glory, his nature, everything he is is meant to be by us to enjoy him. To enjoy. Now we can go too far and say, well, I'm just enjoying God, never going to do anything for him. There's got to be both, enjoying him and glorifying him together. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Your strength doesn't come from muscle, from your physical abilities. Your strength comes from the joy of the Lord. How much are you enjoying God lately? How much can we sit back and say, you know what? As I eat, as I drink, as I play yard games, as I grill, as I hang out with family, as I, whatever you do, we do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do is, how much of the time do we say, God, thank you. God, thank you. And then we have joy that comes from gratitude and thanksgiving to God. There's joy and there's strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. So how do we know how to bring glory to God? How do we do this? Well, what did Jesus do? Let's take a look. In John 17, I'll give you a little context before we read these verses. Jesus is with the disciples at the Last Supper. He, he's about to go. He, Judas already left. He went to go get the temple guards. He's, they're going to be going to the garden soon, the Garden of Gethsemane, or to the, where, the olive grove where Jesus is going to be betrayed and arrested. And Jesus starts telling his disciples, John 14, 15, 16, which, by the way, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. So Jesus, just, he's just teaching, teaching, teaching. He's like, I got to get this all out because I'm about to go. So he's laying this all out. He's saying all these things. But then it gets to the prayer of Jesus. Now, a lot of people think of the prayer of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, was actually our, his example of how to teach us how to pray. But here is the prayer of Jesus. It says, after he says all these things, he's teaching the disciples, Jesus looks up to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Verse three, this is the way to have eternal life to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I want to draw attention at verse four. that He says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He's still alive at this point. He hadn't been crucified yet. And I go, wait, 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 what do you mean, Jesus? You completed the work. He said, I completed the work here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. What had Jesus done up to this point? Well, he, he did a lot of things, actually. He, he overcame some extreme temptation and sin in the wilderness. He spoke the word of God. He shared the word of God, the scripture with people. He testified of God everywhere he went. He pointed people to the Father everywhere he went, everything he did. He also raised up disciples. He went and made disciples and train them up to give of their lives so that the ministry could continue. What did Jesus do? He gathered people into the family of God. He made converts. He, he invited people to follow him. He had them baptized. They began to follow him and live for him. He began to help them grow into mature Christians. These men that were fishermen and, and tax collectors and these guys that really didn't have much going for them in the, in the eyes of ministry, but Jesus grew them into mature followers of Jesus. Of himself. Then he trained them, he equipped them to give of themselves, to live lives giving and sacrificing themselves. By the way, 
11 of the 12 were all killed for their faith. That they gave of themselves, laid their lives down, and he sent them to go into the world all for the glory of God. You know, the five G's, we didn't come up with it. We got it from Jesus. The gather, the grow, to give and to go. Jesus was doing this. We as a church just follow his example to gather people, to grow people, to equip them to give of themselves and then send them out into the world all for the glory of God. So how do we give glory in all that we do? There's three ways just simply to try to wrap our heads around practically how do we give God glory in all we do. The first one here is with praise, with worship, and thanksgiving. Psalm 34, 3 says, let us exalt him together. For God is so great, let's exalt his name together. Psalm 63, again, praising God together. There's a togetherness that comes with this. Romans 15, 6, these, these verses all about thanking God that together we'd have one voice, praising God, lifting up his voice, lifting up our voices to worship him. We bring God glory by worshiping him, by praising him. Not just on Sunday morning for 20 minutes or so, but in every day of our lives, we can wake up and say, God, thank you for another day to live. God, thank you for another day to serve you, to serve your people. God, thank you for my family. God, thank you for my legs. Thank you for my eyesight. God, thank you for all the stuff that we have in this life. We can praise him and worship him and thank him each and every day. Second thing we can do is when we obey and follow him. John 14, I, I couldn't pick a few verses. I just had the whole chapter. John 14, John 15, Luke 10. They says, do everything to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, that everything we do, every part of our being is to obey and follow Jesus. It says, as we obey him, if we truly love him and obey him, then we give glory to God the Father. When we obey and follow him, he gives us the plan to follow. All we have to do is say yes to him, and to obey and follow his plan. When we direct others to him, we praise him, we worship him, we obey and follow him, and then we direct others to him. See, as Christians, we're, we're as followers of Jesus, I believe everything we've been given, we're supposed to be giving away. We're supposed to be sharing with others. Your salvation, it wasn't just for me to get to heaven, it was so that I could help others understand salvation as well, to point other people to Jesus, to point other people to the way. Hey, I found the way to heaven. I found the way to God. Come follow me. Come follow Jesus. Our salvation is meant to point other people to salvation. Our baptism, our stuff, our freedom, when we overcome addiction, when we overcome sickness, when we overcome sadness and despair, it's meant to point other people to Jesus. To say, look at what I have because of what God has done. It's not my doing. It's pointing people to him. We direct others to him. Matthew 5, 16, part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, like a city on a hilltop, your light to be shining out for all to see. He says, likewise, you as an individual, your good deeds and the light that shines through you is meant to bring glory to God. That as we do good things, as we do good deeds, it says, and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good deeds, our works, the, the things that we do here on earth are meant to bring glory to to God, but it's not for our sake, it's for those around us to see. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the great commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, when you do this, it brings glory to God. Go to others to win people 
to Jesus. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Always be ready to give an account for the hope within you, to praise and testify of God's goodness. When people ask, why are you so happy all the time? When people say, how are you so content with this loss that you have? Knowing numerous people who've lost loved ones in the past few years, and I look at them and say, man, they're so content. They're still praising and worshiping God when they've they've lost so much. It's because they know how much they have in Christ Jesus. They can worship him, and that directs others to God. That brings glory to God when we can praise him, we obey him and follow him, and we direct others to him as well. One of the ways we can give God glory is removing ourselves. Oftentimes I say, God, if I could just get myself out of the way, God could do a really good thing, right? And our minds, the way I think, the thoughts, our worries, our cares, our concerns, often can can blot out what God's trying to do because we're not focused on him. We're focused on all this other stuff. How to give God glory. Sometimes we got to turn our brains back a little bit, not to be unintelligent, but to say, okay, God, help me take captive every thought and submit it to the obedience of Christ to truly seek him in everything we do. One of the stories, it's a very short story in Acts 12, kind of a warning, it is a warning to us of something that happened to King Herod of Agrippa. He was the king of the Jews over the people at the time and Acts 12, it says that he came out and was speaking to the people and they said the the people shouted, he speaks like a God, this isn't a man. They're praising King Herod. In King Herod, it says in verse 23, it says, Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. He accepted the worship that was due to God. King Agrippa, he, he, he welcomed me. He didn't say, no, 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 no. I'm not God. I'm just a man. Like, worship him. Worship Jesus. Worship that God. Worship the God of Israel. Instead, he, he's like, yeah, yeah, give me more. Give me more. And God struck him with the sickness. I believe one of the ways that we give glory to God is, not, is by not taking the glory for ourselves. It's a constant thing. That as, as, and unfortunately, we have way more criticism and negativity than we have encouragement and affirmation. But when compliments come, I try to be very diligent and say, all glory to God. All glory to God. It's not my doing. It's his doing. If anything I ever do is good, it's because of the Father who's doing it through me. Because he is good. Now we need to affirm people. We need to compliment people. We need to encourage one another. Well, let's do so remembering it's all for the glory of God. The simple summation of how to glorify God is to do the right thing. Obey and follow him. And one of the best ways that I know to, to help us practically, how do we do the right thing? How do we know what the right thing to do is? Well, in John chapter 15, as I mentioned, we obey and follow him. Jesus has given this illustration of a vine and branches and he says that he is the vine he says apart from me apart from jesus you can't produce anything good he says when you produce much fruit you are my true disciples this brings great glory to my father this whole section of passage in john 15 jesus is saying be attached be connected to the vine be connected to the source when you abide in me and abide in jesus then you can produce fruit which will make you a true disciple, which will bring glory to God. But it starts with, I gotta abide in Jesus. I gotta be connected to the vine, connected to the source, connected to the right place, which I believe is the local church, 
being connected to a local church is where you're in the right environment, the right atmosphere to truly grow and to truly produce more fruit? How many of you want to be true disciples of Jesus Christ? How many of you would love to him, him to say, you're my true disciples? Right? Most of us would say, yes, that's what I want. I want to be called a disciple of Jesus. I would love for him to tell me that. I want to bring glory to God. Well, how do we do that? We have to produce much fruit. The best place, in my opinion, the best place, the absolute best place to produce much fruit is through the local church. You can produce fruit on your own. You can do things on your own. But man, when we come together with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, with the resources God's given us, with all the talents and abilities that we have collectively, so much more fruit is produced. So many more people's lives are changed and transformed for the gospel of Jesus. So many more people get to cross the bridge of life to begin a relationship with God. So much more happens when we come together. And the result is we give glory to God. Great glory to the Father. We don't just consume, but we contribute to produce much fruit. Every one of us can take a step in growing in our contribution to the church and to God's glory. One of the people in the Bible, you may have heard of him, his name's the Apostle Paul. Um, just a small figure in the Bible, I'm kidding. He, he wrote most, much of the New Testament. A man who knew how to live for God. He was sold out for Jesus. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus when he was going to persecute Christians, these, these new these followers of this new way, where it says Jesus appeared to him, and his eyes, his, his eyes were blinded. He couldn't see, and he had scales over them. But he saw, he was in the presence of the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. In verse 20, Philippians 1, he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed. He, was never, he wasn't ashamed to persecute the Christians, but then when he meets Jesus and Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul, he changes him from a persecutor to the biggest proponent of the, the new way of Jesus, of followers of Jesus. He says, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. He says dying's better than living? Most of us would say, what? Like, okay, this guy's just lost it, right? But no, he, he had a picture of something bigger than this life. He wasn't living for the next cornhole tournament or the next vacation. He wasn't living for retirement. He was living for Christ Jesus. He had seen the glory of God. It blinded him so much, and then God restored his sight that he knew there was something so much better than this life that had to offer. He says, if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. He says, I'm torn between these two desires. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I stay, I can do more fruitful work for God. It's actually better for the people if I stay. But man, if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. I get to be in his glory. He's torn between these two. I hear so many Christians where you go, I just want to get all these things done in my life first. I got, I got to live this thing. I got to accomplish this thing. I got to, I got to get to this place first. Instead, that we should have this torment between us of saying, I know it's better to go be with Jesus, but while I'm here, I'm going to do as much fruitful work as I can. We should long for eternity with God. We should long to be in his glory and in his presence. We should desire to say, even dying is better than living. It's a shift of our mindset, realizing there's so much more than this life to come. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he, he's sharing a, this experience he had. 
said he was caught up into the third heaven, the place where God dwells, his presence dwells. He says he got to see things that he can't explain. He's actually forbidden of telling us. There's all this glorious, the presence of God where he's caught up. And I believe that's how he could really say in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It's not on a slide, but you can write 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Paul, he faced so many troubles, so many trials, shipwrecked, beaten, whipped, stoned, all these things that happened to Paul. He says, our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Paul had some pretty big troubles that came. He said, but they're so small in comparison to the glory that's coming someday. There's a picture of a scale, a weight of scale. And it had this image of the weight, the glory of God. Trying to imagine what it would, what's comparable. What, what can compare to the glory of God? And I picture on one side of the scale, trying to, what's the weight of this building? None of us could lift this building, not even all together, right? There's a lot of weight in this building. Not, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the building, okay, the concrete. Don't throw stones. Um, the weight. Imagine the weight of, of a mountain. The massive weight. We can't even comprehend the weight of a mountain. The weight of all the oceans, of all the water on the planet. It's so heavy. It's so much. The weight of the planet Earth. The weight of the moon, the weight of the sun, the massive vastness, the glorious that there is in the sun. Imagine that and all the stars of all the galaxies of the universe. You put all that stuff on one side of the scale, and then you put Jesus and the glory of God on the other side. He outweighs them all. He outweighs everything that we can see, everything in this universe. His glory is so much greater than anything that we have in the universe. All of it combined wanes in comparison to the glory of God. As I tried to understand this and comprehend it, I realized I can't in my human mind, but I can get closer to it. I can understand his glory is greater than anything this earth that we face. It's greater than the weight of the stars and the galaxies. To help us understand that our problems always seem big, but in comparison to God, he's so much greater. One more passage I want to read to you, maybe a couple more. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. God's just been speaking this to me over and over again these last few weeks. Paul's explaining, he's teaching them about the old way versus the new way. Kind of like the Old Testament way, the Jewish way, the, the way of Moses. But then there's this the new covenant in Christ Jesus that we have. He says, the old way, in fact, was glorious. The way that God showed up to Moses was glorious, so much so that Moses' face was shining with the glory of God that the people couldn't look upon it. It was too bright. It was too magnificent. It says, in fact, that first glory, speaking of the Old Testament, the, old, the law, was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever. He talks about this veil that was over Moses' face and how we don't have that veil anymore. That veil is removed by Christ Jesus. And we get to verse 18. He says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect 
the glory of God. We can see the glory of God. We can reflect the glory of God. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. This old way, the old way to help you understand the Jewish way at the time, the way that God had laid down the law and set the rules and set the expectation. The people at the time, Solomon had built the temple in Jerusalem. And inside the temple, the temple was built, there was these outer courts, there was these inner courts, then there was the holy place inside the temple. And inside the holy place, there's actually a place called the most holy place, the holy of holies. And there's all this effort and all this intentional idea that went into understanding and the, the details of the, the Ark of the Covenant, the details of the holy place, and the detail. Everything had to be laid out so perfect. And this was all done to bring a awe and reverence for God. In the Holy of Holies, the center of the a holy place within the temple, only one time a year, Yom Kippur, the high priest at the time would take blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant as a sign, as an atonement for the people's sin. I know this is like amazing Bible nerdy stuff. I love it. And I encourage you to dig into this. Because what happens is you look at it like, there's so much effort so much work, so much intentionality into getting the blood into the holy, most holy place one time a year. Nobody went in the rest of the year. They even put bells on the, on the robe of the high priest just in case he died while he's in there and they tied a rope around him. They could drag his body out. There was so much fear to go in behind this, this curtain, which is what separated the most holy place from the holy place. There's this giant curtain. There's this, it's, it's thick, it's heavy. There's so much detail into how it was woven together that this curtain separated people from where the presence of God was. The presence of God was at the Ark of the Covenant between the seraphim's wings. It was behind this curtain. And only one time a year was somebody allowed to go in to make atonement for our sins. But when Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross, at the moment, the very moment he died on the cross, he gave his last breath, that veil was split in two. No man could split that veil in two. That veil that represented a barrier between us and God. We could not approach God on our own. We had to go through another man. We had to go through a priest. We had to go through somebody else. But in 1 Timothy 2, God says that there is only one mediator between God and man, and his name is Christ Jesus. That we don't have to go through a priest anymore. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to go through a pastor or a teacher or a preacher. You can go directly to God because Jesus split that veil in two. It says it was torn from top to bottom. That no man could rip it from bottom to top. It was split in two. As a sign of us now with the glorious new way, we can come to God exactly how we are and allow him to change and transform us into his glorious image. Would you please stand to your feet? I'm so thankful we don't have to go the old way of bringing animals to be slaughtered and sacrificed for us. But there is a new way, a glorious way that we can come to God through Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. It's not your good works. It's not your church membership. It's not baptism. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can truly be saved. To see and reflect the glory of God starts with saying yes to a relationship with Him. 
as we say he becomes the forgiver of your past and the leader into your future. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you've said, doesn't matter what you've thought, every single thing that is sin or is wrong or is against God's will can be made white as snow. That Jesus forgives our past. It forgives our wrongdoings. And then he becomes the leader into our future. That we can see and reflect his glory as we're made into his glorious image. Would you all close your eyes, bow your heads. I want to offer you today, if you're here today and you don't know for absolute certainty that you've received Jesus Christ, the work he did on the cross as the only way to heaven, that I'm giving you today, this day, to say yes to him, to begin a relationship with God. It simply starts by you saying, yes, I want the, a relationship with God and saying, God, I, I ask that you forgive my sins. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. And God, I want to walk with you from this day forward. I want to do the right things. I want to obey and follow you as my Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you know that you need to make, get right with God, I offer you this moment just to slip up your hand and say, that's me. I need to get right with God. I need my sins forgiven. I want to walk with him from this day forward. Today could be the best day for the rest of your life. Anybody here at all? Just slip up your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Don't miss this moment. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray right now, God, those who've raised their hand, those who responded to you, Father, that they would say yes to that relationship with you. They'd say yes to knowing you, to diving into understanding your glory and how they can be a fully devoted follower of yours. And Father, I pray for every single person in this room, God, that we go out from this place different, God, with a heart of gratitude, of praise and of worship for your son's sacrifice so that we could be free. God, we do thank you for those and the military and the armed forces who have laid down their lives. God, may we live our lives as a thank you to them. As we celebrate, as we gather, as we have fun this weekend and each and every day of our lives, may we not take that for granted, but to give them honor and glory. Father, we lift up your name, give you glory. Say, God, for everything we do, may we live for you to receive honor, praise, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you could be seated. Jared, come on up. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a hand? That's awesome. You, wonderful. I mean.